you want to learn more about effective management, head over to madsingers.com and sign up for my free management training. Welcome to the Mad Singers Management Podcast from madsingers.com, where entrepreneurs and business managers learn and share. If you like the show, don't forget to leave a review. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Joseph Fung. Welcome, Joseph. Mads, thank you for having me. This is going to be such a fun chat. I am super excited for it. Uh, I think we we have lots of similarities, and I think it will be a very, very interesting discussion. But uh, mm-hmm. just before we get started, there is people around the world who don't yet know who you are, believe it or not. So <laughs> would you mind giving a little bit of an introduction to the audience about your background and how you ended up where you are now? For sure. Happy to. Uh, so... And Joseph Hung. Uh, right now, I'm the co-founder and CEO at Uvaro. Uh, we're an online sales accelerator. Uh, we help sales professionals be more successful. Uh, but I'm a repeat founder. Uh, most of them have been in business-to-business software companies, uh, computer engineer by education, and I'm based in Canada. So love things tech, software, entrepreneurship, uh, and uh, cheering the local sports teams, of course. So uh, that's, that's where we are right now. Fantastic, fantastic. So, Joseph, let's talk a little bit about sales and, and yeah, getting getting good sales reps up. So, I I uh, am definitely not a sales expert, um, and I would say that's probably the the one area where I personally struggle the most in business. Uh, I hate sales, and I'm an introvert, and I, all that good stuff. So, so how do you guys typically go around it? So, how when when you work with sort of smaller businesses, you know, what when is the right time to hire sales reps, and how do you actually go around getting them up to speed and producing? I love how you teed up the question because I feel very similar. Uh, engineer by you know training, super introverted as a person, and. I can think back to my first companies, you know, trying to deliberately acquire those skills, like going to Toastmasters, going to BNI, trying to practice the pitch, and you know, is my handshake good enough, and all that kind of stuff. So I, I feel that deeply. Sales was always the hardest part of every business I've run, and I think for us, the big things that we've internalized and, and we've learned how to do is that number one, getting founders and entrepreneurs comfortable with the idea that the way they sell can't really be replicated. We, we make that mistake. We hire someone, we say, follow me on my sales calls, do what I did. And I, I don't know about you, but that's never really worked for me. And we, we see it fail all the time. Uh, so that, and the second thing, and this is the real nugget, everyone looks for sales reps that have sold something similar before. Your thoughts, hey, I've got a consulting business. Let's find someone who's sold consulting before. Uh, and that can work, but what often works better is someone who knows the customer really well. So if you, if you sell to restaurants and bars, well, someone who's worked in a restaurant and a bar uh, is going to be able to sell really well. So you know, changing your sourcing strategy can be a massive win too. And so we spend a lot of time on both of those. I like that one. I like that one. And uh, I think because particularly people people struggle to find salespeople and, and good salespeople, yeah. right? And typically if you find someone who is producing at a top level, they often need a lot of money to do so. Um, so yeah, that sounds sounds like a good advice. But even even if they are producing, that doesn't mean they're going to produce well for you. Like the the numbers are terrible. Uh, I mean, if you look at B two B sales, the average sales rep you know is only attaining less than sixty percent of their quota. 
like that, that's not a win. I mean, that's, that's not even a C that's <laughs> like, it's a real challenge. And I, I think we, there's certain job functions like engineering or finance or accounting. You can look to accreditations. You know, do you know Java? Do you know how to do your reconciliations? Do you know your HR legislation? Sales is different. You can't just check the list. Being able to relate to the buyer is so, so important. And I think if, if more entrepreneurs got comfortable, not looking for a successful salesperson, but someone who really knows the customer already, they'd have a better hit rate than 60%. Totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. So what what do you do? So when 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 you are selling something to restaurants and you find someone that used to work in a restaurant, how how do you then hand over the, the sales skills to them? Well, I mean that's that's why we built Uvaro. Uh, so what we do is we have a training program that puts someone through a twelve week program. It's intense. It's two hours a day, five days a week. It's a lot of work. Uh, but we we teach them how to sell primarily technology, but sell online. And then we introduce them to businesses that are looking to hire in those roles. And we put our money where it's mouth where our mouth is. So most of our members don't pay any tuition until they land a role. So we're telling people, hey, if you you're that bartender who now wants to double or triple your income by selling online, you know, we can introduce you to those companies. And it makes a huge difference to their lives. Um, Because yeah, I, I don't mean to gloss over. Yeah, finding that bartender to sell to other bartenders is great, but they do need that training. They need to close that skills gap. And uh, there's programs like Yuvaro and others who can help do that. Cool. Yeah, sounds interesting. Sounds interesting. And from your perspective, what mm -hmm. is what's sort of the biggest challenge you see in in uh, sort of getting consistent salespeople, like what is your success rate and, you know, with your system, like how, how does it work? It's, it's really interesting. And uh, yeah, my answer is going to make me sound a little bit like a broken record. Uh, it, it often comes down to the fit between the role and the person. Uh, there's no single magic bullet, you know, it's not like, Hey, follow this methodology or, you know, use this cold calling script. And I mean, as an entrepreneur, I'm always looking for that. Hey, like, you probably for the same things, you know, well, what's the email that's going to have the best open rate? You know, what's the cold call script that's going to work the best? We love these things. Uh, the best sales reps, they're always chewing and, and consuming these things, but still they have a 60% success rate. If you can put the right sales rep in front of the right customer, though, that's where the success really is. Um, like one of our members, I, he's, he's a real example. He's top of mind as I've been sharing these. Uh, he was a bartender, a restaurant manager, eight years in hospitality. Uh, after going through our program, we matched him with a company that sells scheduling software to restaurants and bars. And of course, you know, he's doing 170% of quota. He got promoted in six months. And his colleagues who used to sell at LinkedIn and other great businesses just aren't doing as well because they don't know the buyer as well as he does. And so... Uh, yeah, I sound like a, a broken record repeating it, but it is about that fit with the buyer. It's not about your product. It's not about the type of business model. It's about the buyer. Yeah, makes sense. Makes total sense. Makes total yeah. sense. Okay, that's that's good. Uh, you you've built a few companies, right? So you've mm -hmm. done some from scratch, bootstrapped, and so on, and you've done some where you have uh, had venture capital come in. So. Can you tell us a little bit about the difference and kind of your mindset around all that? Yeah, um, 
uh, I mean, I, I love the question and, you know, I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on it too, because I know you're running a few businesses and, uh, you know, is that, uh, how, how did somebody phrased it really well? There's that, there's the idea of the entrepreneur, the serial entrepreneur, and then the multi-entrepreneur is doing multiple things at the same time. And you know, I, feel, I feel like we're similar in that where we're doing that a little bit. Um, I found yeah, it really I, interesting that balance, like they're doing multiple at the same time. Do, do you find that that's different as well? I, so I, I have never taken funding to start a company. I, I mm-hmm. uh, honestly, I, I, I'm desperately against the concept. Like when you look at companies like Uber and so on, that's mm-hmm. losing like, you know, millions and billions and all this stuff. And, you know, they're, they're highly valued and uh, all this stuff. But, but I, for me, business is about making money. If, if you have a business that's going to lose money for 20 years and then eventually make a little bit of profit, uh, that, that it just goes against my whole way of thinking business. Um, and I'm probably a little bit old fashioned uh, looking at it like that, but uh, that I'm, 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 not, I'm not a big fan of that to be frank. Um, now, obviously there is always ways of, that there is situations where getting money makes sense, right? So people can need to scale for many, many reasons. And, and there's, there's a lot to be said for that, right? But, but at least fundamentally for me, it's not something that I generally look for. And I would much rather, I mean, in principle, it's the same, but I would much rather find sort of smaller local private investors and so on then i would uh, necessarily want to go out and raise like millions and millions and for me it's more the mindset i don't enjoy mm-hmm. the idea of having to raise a ton of money like i think I, I know so many people that start a business with the goal of raising a lot of money right and I, I, it just sits wrong with me uh, you've got you hit something really interesting on the head is that People start the business with the goal of raising money, and it's absolutely the wrong way to do it. I mean, raising money is not a success metric. You know, like having a bigger mortgage is not a success metric. It just means you you owe more money, and raising money is like that. You know, investors expect it back at some point. Um, what I find interesting is that a lot of folks equate success to that venture capital route, and it's just one of so many ways to finance a business, and. Yeah, I mean, I've been in, in all of them. I've done businesses where we've just bootstrapped it. We didn't raise anything where we did it. Friends and family, you know, just, you know, literally the, the family and what they could scrape together. Um, borrowed money from banks and you go and do a small business loan. We've raised venture capital. Um, we've done the full gamut and nothing is easier. <laughs> That's the interesting thing. I mean, none of it is actually easier. The, the bigger the checks that are on the table, uh, I think the more obligation you feel. So there's a lot more stress. Um, the one thing that I will say, though, in the difference is that uh, it does incent different behaviors. So every time we bootstrapped, we focused on revenues much earlier. And so mm-hmm. we were more cautious in our hiring, in our business moves. And we had to be. You know, people's mortgages were dependent on that. When we raise venture capital, it lets us make bigger risks and take bigger chances, which both means you can have a, a bigger outcome, but it also means you could fail more catastrophically. And not everyone is comfortable with that kind of level of failure or risk. And everybody that's that's listening who's an entrepreneur, they, 
they're thoughtful. They would take on risk. You're an entrepreneur, you do it. But it's, I think it's sometimes hard to internalize. If you take on venture capital, you're all of a sudden raising your upside, but raising your downside too. And that's really tough. That can hit you financially, personally, you know, family and friends. It's hard. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. I, I, I think what I see a lot at least is that, and, and this is probably what bothers me the most, is that mm-hmm. a lot of people don't either see or look at the downsides, right? They're like, oh, well, you know, if we fail, we fail. It's not the end of the world for me. Uh, yeah. So they, they look at it in that way, right? Which, which yeah, that, I just find that extremely... I find that worldview difficult. Um, it it is. Again, yeah. It is. And I think, I'm not going to shy away from it. The reality is that a lot of it comes from the privilege people have. Like, yeah. If you grow up with money, if your parents were in banking and they were successful entrepreneurs, you don't actually face the same downside. You know, you're not worried about losing your home. You know, you're not worried about, are your kids going to go and get an education? Uh, and so... Yeah, if you fail, it doesn't really hurt you that much. And you don't know what it could mean to your family, your employees' family. And as much as, I mean, I've raised venture capital. I've got friends who are venture capitalists and I, I, I enjoy the space. I make my own investments. But there's definitely a bit of myopia in terms of some of the, the biases and the privilege that, that sit in there. And I think I'm very privileged that I had the chance to make, uh, build companies that were bootstrapped before I ever raised venture capital. And it makes me much more aware of the choice, the consequences of the choices I make. And I worry a lot about first time founders who have never bootstrapped a company, never had to make those choices. And they raise venture capital right away because they haven't had to face those downsides and, and they can get insulated from it. It's tough. Yeah. 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 I agree. Uh, I think that's, uh, that's interesting, but again, like I, I, I appreciate, I appreciate the time. I mean, there's definitely a time when you have a, like I see it a lot in e-commerce business, for example, right? But they have a great model; they mm-hmm. everything just works. But you know, they need money to fund inventory or something like that. Totally, uh, you you could look at that the same way, but I look at that quite differently. Like when you first have a solid business model that is making profits, for me, that is a very different business than when you're asking people for money and you haven't figured out how to make money yet, right? It, to be fair, that's that's where I'd say venture capital is a better fit. You know, if you're starting a company and you don't know how you'll make money yet, that's high risk. That That's yeah. suitable for venture capital. You don't want to be, mm-hmm. you don't want to be putting your parents' house's mortgage on that. You don't want to, you know, be, sign a personal loan guarantee to a bank for that. Um, I think the challenge is, is that a lot of companies that raise venture capital, uh, they figure out how they're going to make money. And then they're stuck on, like, we'll often talk about the venture capital train. You know, so you've raised some venture capital, you've figured out how to make some money, you got 20 people. And at that point, you could now grow profitably, manage it, scale it. You have investors who are, they need to, to make their numbers work. They need you to grow 10x, 100x, and they push you to grow in a way that you might not do naturally. And that's problematic. I see a lot of businesses that started off venture backed and then they get stuck on that, that train of 
you know, the next round being much larger, the next round much larger. And you get to a point where the expectations just outstrip the potential of the business. And that's, it's really hard to get off of. Uh, and so if, if I could change one thing, it'd be having an easier off ramp from the venture capital side of things, you know, easy way to do kind of a seed round or a pre-seed round, but then, you know, moving more into private equity, you know, not, not immediately into public markets, but a way to get off of that cycle because it's tough. And those growing expectations are, are, are a challenge for so many. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's uh it's definitely an interesting situation, right? Because mm-hmm. I, I know a lot of people in the space. I know a lot of people who've taken money and, and are on that train, as you mentioned, right? Um, the, the key thing for me is they care, right? If they care about the money they've raised, that's what matters to me. When the, the, the time where I have the biggest problem is when I see people just being like, oh, well, you know, we raised 4 million. That's not my money. So as long as I get paid, I don't care, right? Like that, that is what I struggle with the most. Right. Um, but yeah. Well, I, I think how to put it, I've got faith that, uh, a lot of those bad actors, uh, get found out, you know, pretty, pretty quickly, uh, cause you get yeah. in really close to your VC. I, I mean, the investors in my business, we're texting every day, you know, we're close when, when it's a rough day, they're the ones that I call up. I mean, you can't complain to your team. You can't, you can't say, oh, I don't want to talk to my team anymore, or I'm having this terrible day. This customer just, you know, chewed me out. You can't say that kind of stuff to your team. And so if you've got really good partners, you know, and I, I have faith that the investors I work with, when they talk to their entrepreneurs and their founders, they know who's having those conversations and who isn't, like who just doesn't care. And Definitely. I think the system helps kick the bad actors out pretty quickly. Yeah. That makes sense as well. That makes sense as well. Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned that there, you said business partners, but let, let's let's dive into the topic of business partners uh, yeah. a little bit because I have definitely had my fair share of uh, interesting experiences with. You say that like interesting is a euphemism for really, really painful and terrible. Um, well, I've had some great ones and I've had some less than great ones. Let's say it that way. <laughs> um, Oh. So, yeah, tell, tell me a little bit more about your experience with business partners. And so on. That's, a, that's a good one. I, I'd preface it that uh, I've had experiences that have been painful and experiences that have been amazing. Every single one was a learning experience. Um, most of the time, it's a learning experience about myself. So that's one thing I'll preface it. Uh, uh, so th- things you hear people say, you know, people will say things like, don't get into business with friends. Don't get into business with family. Uh, don't start a business with someone you've never met. Uh, you know, I've, I've done all those things and some of the ones, some of them haven't, uh, and that happens, uh, you know, a couple that come to mind, uh, with my most recent company where we, uh, we had three of us that co-founded the business. Uh, we raised venture capital shortly after that. I was only of the original, only one of the original three still with the company. Um, and there was definitely a lot of pain and acrimony in that process. Uh, but I think I learned a lot from it. Uh, and I'd, I'd like to think they did too. Um, and the, there's a couple, you know, there's friendships there that weren't fully salvaged. Uh, on the flip side with this business, same thing, you know, we founded the company, there's three of us that are co-founded it. One of them is my sister. You know, one's my, you know, he was the best man at my wedding. So a close friend. And so, you know, someone could look at it and say, well, so if you just made the same, same mistake or did the same thing again. Um, but I think the things that can make a really big difference is, 
when when you do know somebody really closely, there's a lot of trust and that can really help. And if each person has been through this process before, they've been through that ringer before, they know themselves better too. Because the hard part is to say, hey, when things go south, what are we gonna do? You know, we have a shotgun clause to separate. Do we do we say we'll vote and we'll part as friends? And most people have never actually faced that situation. So they say what they do with good intentions, but we all we rarely act the way we think we're going to. Yeah. Totally yeah. agree. And I would say, I mean, my my best experiences with partnerships have similar, right? So it have it have typically been situations where I've been in business with someone that have been around the block, let's say that way, and and someone who, you know, have have experienced things. I I would say though, I've also had experiences with with some experienced people where things did not go super well. So it's not just it's definitely not just the experience uh, piece, but I think again, like for me, I do a lot of personalities and and sort of focus mm-hmm. a lot on the personality aspect of things. And I think definitely that's important, right? Like that you actually are fit. Uh, that the biggest issue I've generally had with business partners is the fact that they, uh, they've been too, let's call it sporadic, or they've been too focused on, you know, every week they have a new goal and a new plan and a new uh, yeah. thing. Now, the, the thing is, in principle, that's good for me because I'm not like that. I'm very structured <laughs> and so on. But reality is when you want to start a business, you know, you can't change the product you're selling every week, right? And yeah, I, I've just seen consistently that that is by far the number one issue I've I've had personally with, with business partners. Now, I'm sure that there's others that have had similar issues or, or maybe slightly different issues, but just from from a similar angle, right? So the the interesting ones i've had when i think about issues i don't think i've had the exact same one that you described there in terms of the the kind of changing a direction or, or flip-flopping um for me what I'd, I'd point to is having partners who are as kind of committed to doing what needs to be done as you are like uh, so an example is you i'm a firm believer that you want to create a workplace where people can thrive have a healthy balance but I know that if push comes to shove and something has to be done, I'm going to work through the night or the weekend to make sure it happens. And that conviction, I'm going to do whatever needs to be done. I think it's really important to have partners who have a similar level as you. And, and to be clear, I don't, I don't mean you need business partners who will work all weekend. It's where you have the same level. Otherwise, you end up feeling frustrated that they're not putting the time in or vice versa or... You're burning bridges and uh when i think back to my challenges you know i think that's where i've seen some of it and yeah. when i think to our successes i think that's where it's been so good you know when one person says this is one of those situations you know we got to burn the midnight oil or we got to double down or we got to put some more money in and everyone like feels the same you know the reactions like oh i'm glad you said so i was thinking the same thing and yeah. that that yeah. commitment is so profound Definitely, uh, yeah. definitely, and I, I think I, I like that aspect, right? Because I think in the end of the day, like there's only so much you as a person can do yourself, and I think having people to stand with you is just so critical, right? Because it it that in itself just enables you to yeah. to 
to push that extra bit. And a lot of the time, like when, when you're dealing with a small business, like it's about that push, right? Like it's about, it's about those 5% extra once in a while, not all the time, not every day, but, but once in a while you really, really have to, yeah, burn the midnight oil and you really have to push. Right. And I I think the flip side and where, where I appreciate the, I'll call them, failure doesn't feel the right word where we didn't have the right success. So maybe the misses um, and where I've internalized a lot is uh, it's really hard to know yourself. And and I think back to one of my first businesses, there was two of us co-founded and I mean, I mean, it started as a partnership, you know, we didn't incorporate, it wasn't a sole proprietorship. It was a 50, 50 partnership. Uh, we wanted to put a name on it. My partner's name was the name on the company. You know, we both agreed that Fung Media just didn't have the right sound. Uh, so we used his name. Uh, and I mean, it was great. We were a fantastic balance. Um, one of the things that I that we struggled with was when he went through uh, a bout of depression and struggling a lot personally. Uh, I use these words now and I didn't know what words to use then. You know, all I know was that at the time it felt like he wasn't engaged, wasn't showing up, you know, wasn't delivering. And you know, one of the things that it took me a while to realize and, and reflect on was that um, I didn't have the right tools or the right understanding to be as committed to his health and you know his well-being as you know I do and I am now. And it's tough because I'm sure, like right now. You know, reflecting on it, I probably have a very different perception of the time and the situations uh, during that part. And uh, we ended up dissolving the partnership. We we ended up continuing the business, and you know, he moved on to other things as well. But we talk about commitment, yeah, I think it's really helpful to think about not just the commitment we each have to the business and the time, but what's the level of commitment we're going to have to each other to deal with those and. I think those are some things that I've struggled in and hopefully gotten better at over time and over businesses. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I've seen work as well is actually knowing people, right? So uh, mm-hmm. a couple of the business partnerships I've had that failed have been people that I didn't know super well. And, you know, I was like, oh, that's a great opportunity. That's a great fit. Let's do it. Right. Yeah. Whereas successful partnerships I've had have generally been with people that, you know, I've known for a longer period, either through networking or uh, like friendship or, you know, I've, I've known them, I've seen them around other yeah. people. My first thought had been, oh, let's build a business together, right? My first thought have come from different perspective. And then, you know, eventually a, an opportunity comes up where you're like, okay, you know, like the two of us could probably, or the three of us could probably build a, a good business together. And I think that's, yeah, for, for me at least, that that's been what's worked the best. And and I mean, I've always been crazy about networking for twenty years or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and I, I really believe, like both from a recruitment perspective, finding business partner, finding yeah, clients, partners, anything, it's so good, right? I love that you say networking. I, I'd love to hear your thought on this. I find this right now. I feel like the use of the. Ad- the increased use of tools like LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook and all of that have made people much, much worse at networking. Uh, and, and I don't know if you found the same thing, but I've, I, I found like the quality of people's interactions, their, 
their willingness to look out and say, hey, how can I help you? Uh, you know, when, when I think about networking, that's a large part of it. Like, how can I expand my, how can I extend my network to help you? Um, I feel like yeah. that, that has dissipated. I think it's probably the people you surround yourself with. So my experience is people have always been pretty bad at networking. Um, <laughs> so, so maybe I just had a good window. <laughs> now, what, what, what I would say is I don't think people have gotten better at it. All right. Oh, so fair. I don't think all these great tools have made people better. Uh, I, mm. I just, um, I, I've just gone back to the UK for, for a while now and, you know, I, I I enjoy going down, like seeing the local chamber and of commerce and stuff like that, and just saying hello to some people. And you know, for me, that networking piece makes sense. Like, if someone mm -hmm. have an exciting business, I'm like, hey, you know, let me come down and see what you do. And like that, that's it's second nature to me. I, I want to see people. I want to I want to nice. experience a business. I want to see that right. And it's just to most people, it's so difficult. Like. And even now when, when like a lot of these meetings happens on Zoom, right? And people are sitting there like, oh, you know, I don't want to say anything. And, yeah. you know, I'm just here watching. And I'm like, it, 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 people are not making it easy for themselves. Now, reality is I had it really difficult. Like I, I was extreme introvert. And I when I was younger, I, I literally started out being like, okay, you know, when I get to the bus to work, I have to sit down next to another human being and I have to say hi. Right. Yeah, like that was literally nice. how I started. And and I did that like twice a day for two months. And then, you know, then I started to say, hi, how are you? And, you, you know, just gradually build on it. So I, I like I totally get that it's difficult. And the one thing I would say is that uh, like I learned it because I wanted to go into management and, and that's my big passion. Right. And, and everything I was told was that networking is number one. Right. If you if you can't network, you're, you're not going to become established in management, right? So I, I invested a lot of time and effort, but I would say probably for business owners, it's even more important, right? Yeah, I totally, I would double down. Uh, and yeah. I, I never, I didn't have the bus experience as you described, but very, very similar in terms of that, you know, deliberate, intentional, uh, like for me, it was, you know, what, when I was running my first business, I was still in college, university, you know, first year university. And, and so I was that kid who showed up at the networking events with the suit that's two, three sizes too big. And you're not quite sure how to say hi. And uh, things, the two things I think made a big difference for me is I, I joined, uh, I joined BNI, like Business Networking International. And I mean, there's chapters everywhere and there's tons of groups that are the same, but I found like the engineer in me found the structured networking sessions you know each person has to do their intro so you get to practice and if you screw it up this week that's okay because next week you get to try and the expectation that everybody comes with something for the other members i think that helped teach me the fundamentals but i mean to your work i think what what helped me get actually better at it was my mentors and my coaches you know people who i trusted to give me real feedback like I, I don't know what your practice is like, but I'd love to hear how this compares. You know, I remember one of the pieces of feedback I got really early on, and it was really creative. And one of the habits that I had when I was talking, when I was unsure is, you know, I'd be like scratching while I was thinking, like just kind of like, oh, for those who are like listening into the podcast, like scratching your cheek or your chin. And uh, just my hand was touching my face all the time when I was unsure. Um, one of my coaches was like, hey, Joseph, one of the things you got to do is start putting your right hand in your pocket while you're talking. 
you're touching your face all the time. It makes you look like you're not sure. You know, it highlights how young you are. You just keep your hand in your pocket. And I love the fact that he was comfortable giving me that feedback. And yeah, that, that stuff's hard. I, I, do, you, do you see stuff that's similar at all in your coaching practice? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'll say, so personally, I've, I've had similar challenges. So one of the things I was told is you need to learn to smile because uh, oh. by, by nature, I mean, I've, I have friends that have known me for years and never saw me smile, right? Uh, oh, and wow. it's not because I'm not happy. I am all the time. <laughs> I just don't show it by smiling, right? It's yeah. not something that's natural to me. So one of the one of the things that take me the longest, and I probably spend about five, six, seven years or so, literally every single day walking down the street and just smiling, like literally. And, mm. and the difficulty is when it doesn't come natural, like I literally feel like a clown. Like, you know, yeah. when I, when I do a tiny smile, I literally feel like I look like a clown where the smile's halfway up my face. Right. And it feels weird now. So what I've learned from behavior is that I'll never learn to be comfortable with it, but I learned to be less uncomfortable with it. Mm -hmm. Right. So now when I meet new people, I know I'm supposed to smile. And therefore, I do it every time I remember it. And, you know, it, it happens more and more. It doesn't happen naturally, but it, I, I think less and less about having to do it, right? But I think that's probably been the biggest game changer. And I had that feedback from a few people, right? Like kind of at networking events and stuff. It, oh, it looks like you don't want to be here. You you look like sad or you look like you're in the wrong place or something, right? And, and that, that made a big difference for me. I think when I look at the people that I've been coaching and so on, again, most of it is, I think, more how we approach the world, mm -hmm. right? Like, I, I think everyone has something to offer. And I believe that a lot of people don't feel that, all right? Mm -hmm. And I can totally understand, like many people it's like, oh, you know, why would I go and bother that Joseph guy? He looks busy and, you know, he's a business owner. He must be important and all that kind of stuff, right? Whereas, but we both know I'm not. It's like, <laughs> you know, when you own the business, you're like chief bottle washer, take out the garbage. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. But, but, you know, that's the mindset of a lot of people. Whereas I think learning to approach it from a helping perspective. So as you yeah. said a little bit, what you learn in BNI, uh, I, I think for me, that made a huge difference, right? So one of the things I like doing now, and I, I'm still uncomfortable doing don't get me wrong, but when I'm at an event and I see someone standing in the corner by themselves, I go and talk to them mm -hmm. because I know that they will be so happy that I talk to them. Even if they don't know what to say, I know that even I'm uncomfortable doing it as well. Yeah. I know they will be very happy because no one is talking to them right now and no one like standing and you know staring up in the roof or whatever, right? 100%. I, I do the same thing. And I guess if I'll double down on that. Anyone that's listening in, you know, look for a good networking tip at the next event you go to go and find the two or three people that aren't talking to anyone and go introduce yourself. Cause I mean, you'll learn something new and you're helping them and they, they will be not just happy, but grateful. And you're putting good energy out there. It's going to come back to you on plus on that. Definitely. Definitely. And uh, yeah. So, I mean, my, my big one, I, I would say the biggest differentiator for me was definitely Toastmasters. Uh, for, mm. for most reasons other than the obvious ones. So, I mean, Toastmasters is, is a lot of things, I would say, but uh, the, the, the key focus is obviously around public speaking with it. Uh, I've definitely learned 
a lot more about that and so on. But the one thing I learned that makes the biggest difference is body language and communication. Because by nature, you know, I can literally sit with my arms crossed and just like, I, I can stare into a wall and have a conversation with a person next to me. Like for me, that someone, that I'm looking at someone when I talk to them, it makes no difference. But learning how to actually make effective eye contact, how to use your arms effectively, um, I would say that's probably what I've noticed being the biggest differentiator. So obviously learning public speaking, I, I do speaking, I've done speaking in front of a couple of thousand people now. So, uh, which I'm extremely comfortable with, um, much more than approaching some stranger standing in a corner. Um, but, but for me, the, the sort of body language piece of it have been a huge game changer. The, the other thing is like, I, I've also done things like BNI and my personal experience was not the same as yours. Um, Oh, it's My so much the group. Yeah, like it's, it's the group it, that it's, you're part it, of, yeah. It's a lot of the group. I, I yeah. When I go into an event and I get three business cards in my hand, but in five minutes, I usually turn around and walk away. <laughs> uh, that, that's typically my approach. So what, what I love about Toastmasters is that you, you meet a lot of positive people who are into self-development. Mm. So the concept of people who are wanting to improve themselves they generally pay money out of their own pocket in most cases to do so. Mm -hmm. And they spend a, a sizable chunk of their time as well. Right. Mm -hmm. I've found that those are generally people that I enjoy spending time with. Right. Now, what, what I have experienced in a couple of the BNIs that I've visited is also some good people, but it's often this like sales, sales, sales. What can I sell you? What do you want to buy? Who do you yeah. know that want to buy? And it, it's it's so sale focused more than necessarily do I actually provide value to you, right? And that's the yeah. same thing I have with these business card slingers, right? It, it's funny because you know, for me, when I think about what I enjoyed most about BNI, it was that deliberate, intentional self development, uh, and, and I mean. I'm so lucky I get to be surrounded by people who have that same belief every day, like they're investing in our business and, you know, as customers, uh, we had a call last night with a group of them. And one of them said it really well is she said, you know, everyone's got a, an education budget, you know, whether or not it's, you know, 10 bucks a month, cause they buy a cheap book or it's, you know, a couple hundred bucks a month. Cause they're investing in courses, they have an education budget and, you know, they choose how they use it deliberately. And, what I found for me was, you know, being at Toastmasters, being at BNI, you know, the customers I've got right now, uh, everyone's intentional about learning and open forums like that. There's so much knowledge exchange like, and, and that knowledge is so valuable. It's like one of those few things that uh, the more you give it away, the more you get in return. And uh, that, that is so powerful. I, I love picking up new things from entrepreneurs, uh, from people who want to develop themselves and, swapping stories and ideas on how to get better. Like you said, practicing the smiling or, or talking to that person who's alone. Um, for me, my big thing of late has been, uh, it's a riff on your body language, like the way you use your hands on Zoom. You know, so like you've got this tiny little window and you know, if you put your hands up and you look in the mirror, you're like, oh wow, I'm like, they're right beside my face, but that's the little window we have. And our videos are all flipped. So like you say up and to the right and you got to go up and to the left. And, yeah. but I think if, if business owners, if sales reps are deliberate about improving each step of the way, the effect is compounding. Uh, and so Definitely. the intentional improvements make a difference. Awesome.
Joseph, it's been an amazing conversation. So thank you very much for that. So before we finish off, any amazing resources or anything you haven't mentioned yet that you want to recommend to the audience if they want to improve their business or management skills? Well, for sure. I mean, the one thing I'd share is we take a lot of the content from our classes and a lot of our videos and we make them available online for free. So if anyone wants to improve their sales and sales management skills, they could check out our video library at ondemand.uvaro.com. And that's all free and you can go through you know, all those courses. So happy to share that with the audience. Awesome. That sounds amazing. Excellent. If people are eager to get hold of you or want to talk to you, what's the best ways of getting hold of you? Again? I always love chatting. So I hope people will reach out. Our, our website is uvaro, uvaro.com. And me personally, I'm, I'm available on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, you know, most social networks at Joseph Fung, uh, J-O-S-C-P-H-F-U-N-G, all one word. Uh, hit me up in chat. Perfect. Fantastic, Joseph. Thank you very much. And to the audience, we'll be back again next week. Thank you for listening all the way to the end. Thank you for listening to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Please leave a review. It means the world to us. You can also learn more about management at madsingers.com.